can go ahead and take a seat. And our young friends are welcome to join Miss Olivia and friends with the kids' table for a special time um, of, of lessons and Bible learning. Um, it's so great to be with you guys today. Um, I'm Pastor Chris. I'm the lead pastor here at Table Life Church. And I have to say, like, Baptism Sunday is always one of my favorites. Whenever we get a chance to do this, um, there's just something about this time. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is here among us today. And, and uh, you're especially blessed because today we're starting a brand new series, a three-part series on the Old Testament book of Haggai. Isn't that so exciting? Woohoo! And you might ask, like, Pastor Chris, why do you choose these Old Testament prophetic books that I just kind of skip over in my Bible reading? Well, that's the same reason why, because there's so much that God's Word can bring to us even today and how it continues to speak. And Haggai, can you all say that with me? Haggai, okay, that's how you pronounce it. There's also some people say Haggai, that's also correct. There's really not a right... Um, way to say it there, but he's a minor prophet, and, um, which means that he never made it to the majors, believe it or not. But, but minor prophets um, in the Old Testament scriptures, we have major and minor prophets. It's mainly just due to the length of the book, basically. That it's a shorter prophetic book, um, not less important by any means. And um, if I ask you to turn in, into your, in your Bible, um, in the book of Haggai, you'd probably begin sweating, being like, where is it? And the good thing is today, technology, you can just go on your phone and look it up very easily. But I want to start us off with a question today that will kind of frame this, <clears throat> this idea of this, this series called The Time Is Now. Are you the king or queen of unfinished things? Are you the king or queen of unfinished things? Well, it's estimated that 65% of Americans are exactly that. So if you find yourself starting a lot of things and not finishing them, you're, you have lots of company. Uh, and, and I think regardless, though, at some point in our, in our lives, even in our spiritual journeys, um, we come across or we have a hard time finishing something that we start. We have a hard time finishing something that we start. And you think about, like, what kinds of things? Well, the first thing that came to mind when I asked myself this question was puzzles. I don't know if you enjoy doing them. This is my kind of puzzle. Very easy, cheesy, very easy. Um, but, but puzzles like jigsaw puzzles that like take a whole lot of time and energy. And, and I don't know about you if you start around the edges when you do a puzzle or if you kind of group them by colors or that kind of thing. But for me, as I work on a puzzle, it's easy for me to start it, very hard for me to finish it. Especially one like this. This is the world's, lar the world's hardest puzzle. If you're a puzzler, this is one that you can order on Amazon today if you so choose. But it's been so discouraging to me when I start a puzzle. I might work on it for a couple days, maybe in a week or so, but eventually, eventually it gets put to the side and it collects dust or I put it away and I stop doing it. And, and I think like whether it's a puzzle or maybe something maybe more significant in your life, um, over time, don't we find ourselves stopping starting things? because we're scared of how they might finish. We avoid starting things because we think we know that we're not going to finish them or they're not going to finish well. Everything from projects to careers to practices to relationships to church. And, and the time goes on, it gets harder and harder to go back, right? As time goes on, it gets harder and harder to go back, to start again, to revisit, or even to rebuild. Well, 
This, quite honestly, is the mood that occurred, the mood that took place during the time that the book of Haggai was written. And, and in any story, I, think, I believe it's important to look at the backstory, not just to get into the scripture, but look at the backstory, at, at the, what was going on and what led us there. Because the story that takes place here in the scripture didn't just happen. And to do that, I'm going to take us on a little bit of a journey back in time, on a timeline, all the way back to the time of King David, to, the king, to king David. So uh, we have a time of King David who had a son named Solomon. Solomon, and it was kind of a golden age. You, here in the timeline, you see 90, around 970 BC. And, and during the fourth year of King Solomon's reign, he constructed this magnificent temple for God. It was magnificent, it was amazing. And, and it was like basically a tourist attraction for worship. I don't know if you've ever like toured the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., or maybe uh, gone to Israel and seen some of those places. Um, if you haven't, maybe you've been to Disney World. <laughs> Lots of people going to a place to see the location and see how amazing it was. But the thing is, after King Solomon died, the people, the, their hearts turned away from God. And, and they got very distracted and busy, and, and God allowed a series of events to take place. The first being in 587 B.C., a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar and his army crushed the southern kingdom of Judah. And not only did they do that, but they destroyed the entire city. And to add insult to injury, they destroyed the temple. They, they stripped away the spiritual identity of the people, and they the people are completely devastated, 587 B.C. But see, what's even worse is that the next 50 years, the people who were living there were taken into captivity. Uh, technically, it's about 70 years, 20 before the temple was destroyed. Um, and, and often we don't recognize like, what this means, like taken into captivity under an oppressor. Like, what, is, what does that actually mean? Well, just to comparison, imagine this. Imagine we had some people come up from Texas who are Dallas Cowboys fans. And they come and they take Steelers and Eagles fans hostage. And, and, and we're not allowed to go to games or to do anything that has to do with that. And not only that, are they occupying? It's very painful, right? I mean, who hasn't even been to the Super Bowl in a number of decades? <laughs> but think about that. Anyone, though, for 50 years, 50 years, has not known life otherwise, has not known life under occupation. And going back to the, the story here, anyone under age 50 at that time never knew what it was like to be free. You can only imagine their relief then. In 583, or 538 BC, about 50,000 people are allowed to travel back to Jerusalem, back to the capital of Judah, to go home and begin rebuilding their city and their lives. Like, woohoo, right? And so they started to rebuild the temple for God. They were allowed to do so. And so they started, they built the foundation, they, they built the altar, some of these sacred locations, but then they stopped. They stopped what they had started. And we're going to see why soon. They started building their own houses and forgot about God until, until God called the prophet Haggai. The prophet Haggai, who scholars believe, believe it or not, was an old man. So if you are of the 55 and better community, there's hope for you. God may call you to a ministry as he did Haggai. 
that Haggai, Haggai probably had seen the old temple. He was older than 50, right? He had seen the old temple and everything that had taken place, so he had memories of what it had been. And a prophet, a prophet just by definition, is a person who's called by God to speak for God. who's given the role of truth-telling as well as foretelling the future. But Haggai, his job given by God is to call the people back to their unfinished business, to rebuild the temple. So we're going to jump in, first verse of chapter 1 in the book of Haggai, which says, In the second year of King Darius, he's basically marking out the historical events here, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheatel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of, Z- of Jozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. So let's just pause here, because it's kind of funny, those last words, the, 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 the last sentence there. It's funny because elsewhere in the Old Testament scriptures, God always calls the Jewish people, my people. He always says, my people. But here he does what any good parent does when kids do something wrong, right? They're your kids. Like, whose kids are they? They're yours, not mine. Like, or maybe you have a dog or a cat. Like, whose who's animal is that? Not mine. That's your animal, right? It's always a problem. But he's saying, these people are saying that the time is not now to build my temple. Now, why did they think the time is not now? Well, it's because they received opposition. They received opposition. There's a group of people called the Samaritans. Maybe you fast forward to the time of Jesus, who's story of the Samaritan woman. And, and they were not liked by the Jews at that time. And the Samaritans were opposing them actively, opposing their action of rebuilding the temple. They were getting in their heads. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. I, I call it the dreaded said, right? The dreaded said gets in your head. What she or he said, maybe years ago, maybe recently, it gets in your head, and when that next thing comes, they get in your head again, and it pops up, and, and it's discouraging. And so suddenly, suddenly this opposition comes, and these people are like, no, this just got hard. These people just got in our heads. This must not be the right time because it's not easy. Have you ever thought that way? I mean, imagine, for five decades, all they dreamed about for five decades uh, was, was rebuilding, was getting back to this life, rebuilding their lives in the temple. And when it got difficult, they put their project on hold. But that's you, right? That's me. We do this. I mean, you've done this, right? You committed to rebuild something or revisit something, and then things got hard. And what did you do? You stopped. You stopped. And what's so funny is so often whenever we receive opposition and whenever things are not easy, we think that we must not be in God's will, right? The barrier is coming, uh, but we need to understand that the closer that we get to doing something that matters to the heart of God, the more likely we are to face opposition. See, receiving opposition isn't a sign that God is necessarily against you. Maybe it's just the opposite. There's a quote, I don't know who it came from, but It says, don't worry when people oppose you, worry when no one is. Something I've taken heart even in my ministry. That when we find ourselves being obedient to God and it gets difficult and it gets challenging as it often does, I want to encourage you with this one simple thought. That with God's help, choose the hard right. With God's help, choose the hard right and expect opposition. Expect opposition external but also internal. 
Expect that opposition. But, and think of it for these people, it would have been hard and right to continue to rebuild the temple. You know, th- think about our own stories, right? It would be easy to hold a grudge when you feel wronged, but it's hard and right to forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. It's easy to keep sin a secret, but it's hard and right to confess and to ask for help. It's easy to keep buying what you want, but it's hard and right to deny yourself, to stay out of debt, to maintain a generous spirit. It's easy to stay in bed for some of us, but it's hard and right to push ourselves to get up and to go. It's easy to forget a strained relationship, but it's hard and right to do your part, to choose the hard right. Expect opposition, and this is what the prophet Haggai is going to empower them to do. But it's not on their own strength, it's with God's help. He essentially tells them the time is now. The time is now. So I want you to think for a moment. Is there some unfinished business, unfinished assignment in your own life? I want you to think about that and to experience the the book of Haggai through the lens of that assignment. I mean, maybe it was yesterday, maybe it was months ago, maybe it was like 14 years ago that you chose to stop and maybe didn't restart. Something that you felt like was a burden. Maybe even that you thought something, there was a call from God, an act of faith to take. Maybe you were called to be one of the folks that was baptized up here, but you haven't made that decision yet. Perhaps God is speaking now as he spoke to the people in the time of Haggai, saying the time is now, the time is now. And then he continues. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. So so pause here. He's saying give careful thought. Think about what you're doing. Think about what you're living. And going back to that scripture, he says, is it a time for yourselves to be living in your paneled houses, right? What in the world is a paneled house? Well, think it's high-end living. It's high-end living at the time. This is the folks with the granite countertops, the crown molding, the wall-mounted TV, perfect, right? Some of us are, are in that category. Like, you got all this stuff. And it's not that God is against having nice things. He just doesn't want nice things to have us. The people are putting their own comfort ahead of God's calling. And that's the second piece here, is is that we need to risk feeling uncomfortable when you choose the hard right. Risk feeling uncomfortable. I have a friend who is a prayer warrior. She prays like just in an amazing way. She does this thing called intercessory prayer like on behalf of other people. I work with her in ministry. And if I have a prayer need, I'll like text it to her, email it to her, that kind of thing. And I have to say this, my friend Cheryl, she prays way too long. I don't know if you've ever met somebody like that. I mean, I could pray for each of you and your children and your grandchildren and your pets by name just as she's warmed up telling God how much she loves him. Maybe you know somebody like that. And when I'm praying with her, as I've been on occasion, like, like either on the phone or in person, um, it's so uncomfortable for me, honestly, as a pastor. I'm like, okay, is she going to wrap up soon? Like, is it going on? Like, look at my watch. Like, like trying not to, to do that. It's, it's uncomfortable to pray. And I caught myself doing that. And I'm like, but this is right. The right thing to do is to pray, even as uncomfortable as it is. And there's other things, you know, besides prayer in our relationship with God that might make us uncomfortable. Maybe church is one of those things. I don't know if that's for you. But, but maybe, maybe that's part of your unfinished assignment. 
Maybe part of what God's calling you to do is in this season to be a little uncomfortable. To give careful thought is what God says. Give careful thought because God wants us to choose the hard right. And he goes on to prove that point, saying, you have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Wow, right? Does that strike you? Does it like it strikes me? Uh, I was thinking about this. Um, anybody notice that when you get like a spam email or maybe even snail mail, right? Doesn't it get trickier by the hour? like to figure out like what is true and what is not. Like, like you have to go through it, you know. Uh, I, I determine something when I've been like, you know, opening an email or getting something in the mail. I determine something. The more official it looks, the less important it is. Isn't that right? The stuff that's actually important, it comes without pomp or a gold envelope. It comes with a very simple title in the email. The stuff that says, if you don't open this right now or you're going to die, like, probably not. Or if it's from Ed McMahon, bless his soul, or Prince of Wakanda, right? It looks so legit, right? And you want to open it, and then you're like, no, no, no. The more official it looks, the less important it probably is. It mirrors things in life. The stuff that's, that matters is usually messy, it's usually simple, and it's usually boring, don't confuse value with what something looks like. Build the things that really matter. Build the things that really matter. That as you choose the hard right, build the things that really matter. I, I mean, I think the modern translation of, of those verses we just read is like you're working your tail off and yet you feel empty and hollow. You have more than you've ever had before and you still don't feel satisfied. You do lots of things, you travel, you eat out, maybe you're retired and you have a nice retirement, but you're still longing for something more. You know, good old Dr. Phil might look and say, well now how's that working for you, right? But maybe there's something more to life. God's so loving and good, he doesn't want to lead us there. That God gives second chance and third chance and 50th chance to focus on the right stuff, to build the right stuff. But then he gives some caution here. And this is what the Lord Almighty says, the scripture says. Give careful thought to your ways. He's reminding them again. He says that again. Go up into the mountains, bring down timber, and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. I think the last thing here is don't complicate it. Don't complicate it. Whatever the unfinished business, don't, don't we complicate things. He breaks it down into the three steps, right? First, go up into the mountain, bring down the timber, build my house. Like three things, not 50, three, three things, right? Go up in the mountain, hard thing to do. I don't know if you've ever been on a mountain journey. Maybe you've driven up to like Mount Washington or something. Maybe you've tried to hike it before, but hiking it's hard, right? Go up to the mountain. But then the second they bring the timber, right? It, that's hard again. Now come down and build the temple step by step, day by day. He's saying start with three steps, not 10. Not 50. And I think the problem with us, so many of us, is to say, well, what God, but though, what about steps four and five and six and seven? Like, what's up next, right? What am I doing after that all happens, right? And God's like, don't worry about that, right? Just, just do the first one. Do start here. Start here. I'm going to reveal the rest of it, but start here. Uh, even Martin Luther King Jr., who's, who we celebrate this weekend, um, he said it like this. He said, take the first step in faith. You don't have to see the whole staircase, just take the first step. First step, go up the mountain, bring the timber, 
start building. Go up the mountain, bring the timber, start building. Instead of asking, what does the whole thing look like? Maybe God's just giving you a pencil sketch right now and he's going to fill it in along the way. There's always going to be the what ifs, right? You're responsible for the obedience. God is responsible for the outcome. And for you, maybe the thing that God's calling you to rebuild is a relationship. And you might say, well, there's a difference in rebuilding things and rebuilding relationships, Pastor Chris. And I would say, of course. And I would say also that, no, you are not responsible for reconciliation. You're not responsible for resolution with someone. You're not responsible for fixing anyone. You know what your simple goal and what you are responsible for? Is to have no regrets. No regrets. No regrets. Because... Some of us wait way too long to rebuild, especially relationships. We wait until something happens and someone gets sick. We, we, it puts the disagreement that took place that caused that broken relationship into perspective. We wait too long to take the fir- that first step. But reminder that the outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is ours. William Shakespeare once said, better three hours too soon than a minute too late. So closing things here, what is your unfinished business? What is your unfinished business? Maybe now is the time to do the hard thing. Maybe it's a secret struggle. It's hard and right to confess and to ask for help. To say, hey, I blew it and I need help with this. It's easy to lie to say that you're okay, but it's hard and right to get counseling. You know, some of you, some of you know that you need community. You need Christian community. You've thought about it, but you remember what happened last time. And they blew it last time. And I'm sorry they blew it last time. And it's awful, but don't let that trigger stop you. Haggai is in a line of prophets who was sent to prepare a way for God to do a very hard, right thing to send Jesus. That, that Jesus, just as God was calling the Jews to lay the new foundation for the temple brick by brick, he was in the process of building a foundation and a new creation to redeem the world. That Jesus, who would endure the hardest thing, the cross, out of love for us. See, Jesus is not just in the business of forgiving you. He also wants to rebuild you. So don't put it off. Because today... Maybe today means that the time is now.